welcome back to the Haunted Heart Podcast, take 394. 394. We've been trying to record this podcast for 87 years. It's been 84 years. <laughs> that's you know you know with everybody going around today uh doing the the old face app thing i yeah. mean it's pretty relevant right yeah i haven't years. seen old me i don't know that i want to I, see old I, me. I, I sent you pictures of old you but yeah, honestly but they, weren't, they were stolen from the websites they weren't like good good they you weren't good also they didn't selfie. look that different <laughs> <laughs> well they just looked weird i don't know there were a lot of filters on those i gotta send you like an unfiltered and then you can upload my I face tried. to the russians so, and uh, funny thing is i actually tried uploading some of like the one that you have with green hair and yeah. red contacts didn't work no out. change none like, none whatsoever I you tried uploading here, folks. Me as an old person gonna look exactly the fucking same. <laughs> when we walked the ball with the the wig and and your yeah. your makeup, the exact same. Oh well, there's a lot of makeup on that face. But still, even it should still do something, and it did nothing. I don't know. I won't allow it. In fact, <laughs> it's because I don't actually age because I'm not human. I'm just a humanoid sort of creature, and I'll mimic you all in aging, but I won't really stoop so so low as to have saggy gels <laughs> i'm concerned <laughs> i'm a little afraid uh, um yet possibly invested in this idea yeah i don't know i think it because my mom never really aged like she she had the same face from the time that i was born and i've seen pictures from before so, like, she had the same face from probably, like, 20 years old until she was, like, 50. Mm. Like, it, literally exactly the same face. Like, no change at all. And, you know, there's been a little change recently as she kind of, like, gets above 50, but, like, not really that much. We some young-looking people. It's because we stay thick, girl. We fill out all them <laughs> so wrinkles. I was going to say, fill out them wrinkles. You don't have to worry Filling about it. Filling out them wrinkles. That's not what my doctor says. My doctor <laughs> says we're very worried about it. <laughs> Your doctor says you're con- he's concerned. <laughs> my doctor says we're very... She's a lady doctor, actually. Oh, she says she's concerned. Mm-hmm. She's, she's a beautiful, beautiful lady. I don't have a doctor. Mm-hmm. We should work on that. We should work on getting you a doctor. Don't Podcasting doesn't have good health insurance. No, it does not. <laughs> anyway, so here we are, gang. We uh, made it. Uh-huh. We made it through Chicago. Like, We went wow. to the Windy City. Mm-hmm. We saw it, the thing. It actually wasn't that windy. It wasn't. It was hot and muggy. Which was I'm so weird. for all y'all in mm-hmm. Chicago. Yeah, I, I don't know why I thought it would be cooler than here, but um, I learned while we were there that Chicago, it, actually one of the people who came by um, during the meet and greet, uh, at Chicago, Chicago was actually built on a swamp, same as D.C. So that's why mm. it was like so hot and like humid and muggy, and it's not usually super hot there because um, they're right on the lake, but because it's built in like over a swamp, it sometimes gets humid during the summer. And she said, um, that girl said that it only stays like that for like a month, maybe two. Mm. Like the window is very short, but we hit it. Oh, we, were hot. we did. Lots yes, of boobs we did. Sweat. That's why we stayed inside. Yeah. And when the, and the AC. But no, we uh, got to meet uh, a lot of really cool people. Hopefully you're one of them if you're listening to us. Fuck yeah. If we met you in Chicago, props to you. Yeah. 
Hey, girl. Or guy. Hey, guy. <laughs> or hey, girl, guy. <laughs> hey, non-binary, non-beads. We love you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we talked to a bunch of cool folks, met some super cool podcasters. Now, can I just say we talked a lot? We did. It was a lot. We, which is partially why this episode is coming to you a little bit later than they usually do, because I literally lost my fucking voice. Mm-hmm. And you can still kind of hear it in that vocal fry. That's not just me being fucking lazy. Um, it's it like I actually literally lost my voice. Yeah. And I was like, oh, damn. So you might have to uh, bear with me a little bit in this episode because my voice is not as smooth and buttery as it usually is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and buttery, 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 you know, like waffles, buttery, Lando Lakes. <laughs> Everybody we met at the at the podcast festival is like, I thought they said this was a murder podcast. <laughs> I'm here for the murder. Guess what? Not the bad accents. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They're like, um, unsubscribe. Mm. But Maybe I'm still going to They're like, damn, I just put that sticker on my laptop. <laughs> <sighs> I just keep it. Still gonna That's keep fine. Hey, unsubscribe. Still keep the um, still keep the stickers, though. And the merch. <laughs> no, mail them back. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Send them back. Our, our P.O. box is on the fucking Instagram page. Send them back. <laughs> Anywho, so we had a great time in Chicago. We met awesome listeners. We met some awesome podcasters. Mm-hmm. And we are hoping to have some super cool uh, materials for you out of that. And I will say nothing more than that. Nothing more, nothing less. You know a bitch love a collab. A collab? A collab. For a second, I thought meth lab. No, not that. <laughs> Not that. Can a co- a collab can be a meth lab though? Huh. We'll we'll think on it. If you know, you can email us at the haunted heart podcast. I don't fuck with meth though because my teeth were too expensive. I can't. Mm-mm. We can't be fucking this up. Yeah, that is um, true. We your can drop teeth- some acid if you want. Okay, maybe. But, but we can't fuck with shit that yeah, messes that, your teeth up. That's true. Your teeth were fucked. I've 100%. seen pictures. Yeah, it took a lot of money. It took a whole lot of money. <laughs> a whole lot of money from a single mom. Come on now. So, uh, anywho, we have some, speaking of uh, bonus content, we got some Patreon people to fucking acknowledge upon this bitch. Today. Yes, the fuck we do. So, uh, we have two folks that we're acknowledging. Technically, I think it's three folks. Um, but first step is the None of This Is Real podcast. And that is hosted by Sarah and Damini. I'm so sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, babe. Um, But they have a podcast that actually sounds cool as fuck. I will fully admit that I have not listened to it because we had a crazy-ass weekend when we had eight hours of sleep in three days. I'm sorry. Um, But I really want to because their podcast is about, like, the supernatural, spiritual, interdimensional, conspiratorial, and otherworldly topics. Um, They talk about the human condition, and they kind of are similar to us in that they kind of pick a, a topic to discuss, and then they talk about the mystical side of it and the scientific side. So they kind of look at it from a ah, believer standpoint and a skeptic standpoint. That's cool. Yeah, which is really, really cool. Um, Sarah, who has some badass green hair, very much like my green wig, um, except hers, I think, is like fucking legit because um, she's not a poser like me. Uh, she is the skeptic <laughs> side, and Damini is the... Um, like the more believer side who's like into UFOs and all that kind of shit. So 
that's super cool. I can't wait to listen to their podcast. I love podcasts about ghosts, um, but I don't know that we can ever, or not ghosts, aliens. Why did I say ghosts? I, I don't. I don't know. We're going to cover the shit out of ghosts, but aliens is uh, what I meant to fucking say. And I love listening to stuff about aliens and watching all the fucking like shitty ass footage on Netflix. I'm about it. I'm on YouTube up in my suggestions. There's all kinds of fucking grainy ass film. Um, But I don't know that we could ever cover it on this show because that legit freaks me out. That's like the one thing that actually genuinely fucks with my head. Oh, no, we're going to head there. I'm real. I'm real <laughs> We're gonna head there. It's gonna I'm happen. Scared. It's gonna happen. The the listeners want it to happen. Look, we have to wait till we get enough Patreon money to afford my fucking mental hospital stay. So again, fair enough. Not good health insurance for podcasters. Anywho, uh, that was a really long tangent to say. Sarah and Damini from the None of This Is Real podcast, which by the way is available on every major podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts. Stitcher and uh, tune in as well as SoundCloud. Fuck them because SoundCloud. SoundCloud hates us. Fucking <laughs> girl, SoundCloud. how you just pop up in that Patreon message box and let us know how the fuck you figured out SoundCloud. Anyway, um, they are new members of our Haunted Heart Harem. So we welcome you, lovely ladies, to our harem and we hope that you are very comfortable. And joining them is Melissa W., who is also a part of that Haunted Heart Harem. And as always, we have dressed your candles with good intentions for health, wealth, happiness, success in whatever way that you define it. Uh, And... Fuck. I'm going to need an edit there. And fucking. Lots of fucking. And fucking, if you want to. Sorry, I'm going to need an edit. As always, we have dressed your invocation candles today with good intentions for health, wealth, happiness, success, in whatever way you define it. And your lit candle will burn beside us for the entirety of the episode and always and forever in our dark, dark, that was great. Thanks. You did a great job. Thank you. It's not my usual bit, but you know, I can do it. Yeah. I can do it sometimes. She's versatile. Yeah, I feel like I'm tongue popping a lot today into this mic, and I just Please know that it's just not don't. good. Don't I'm, do it. There's so much pressure because we met so many cool people, and I know this is the first episode we we're recording after Chicago, and I'm just like determined to fucking drive them away, just like every relationship that I have. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I'm just like focused on it. Yeah. So. <laughs> again. <laughs> That's one of those things that's so truthful. It's not it, funny. It's so truthful. It's not funny. <laughs> and it's also really hard because it's like a brick wall. Hmm, it's like. Damn. You can't really go around it. You can't really. You just have to sort of acknowledge that you it's a brick wall. It. Yeah. You have to move through uh, through to acceptance, mm-hmm. which is what my therapist is always telling me. And yeah. then we just, you know, move forward. Yeah. It's not an easy one to forwarding into. Forward into, we're moving forward into our topic of the day, which is Angels of Mercy Killers. Yes. Speaking of healthcare. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I didn't even realize we were doing that. Could have been a great segue 
Could have. But something happened and... You know what happened? What? You know what happened? What? You know what, what? Trash talent happened. Yes, it did. Trash talent. Hashtag. Hashtag trash talent. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, yes, we are talking about Angels of Mercy, also called Angels of Death. I like Angels of Death hella angels better. Angels of Death. Angels of Death. Yeah, it's like my um, it's like you uh, would have a a Reddit username, Angel of Death six six six. Yeah, or like Angel of Death sixty nine, <laughs> or even worse, like Angle of Death sixty nine, which is one of my favorite typos on the internet. Angle of Death. Um. Well, I could death s- angle. <laughs> death angle. Um, I could see that as, um, oh, that'd be a great stripper name, though. Angle of Death? Angel of Death. Oh, okay. I was like, wait, I'm not getting it. Maybe a good, like, hardware store. Like, a Mm. hardware store for goths, specifically. Mm. Angle of Death. They just sell right angles. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But they're goth about it. Yeah. So it's fine. Yeah, totally. So why don't you, and I'm just going to throw this out there to you. I'm going to volley it over to you. All right. <laughs> why don't you explain you know, to us, to me, to God and the listeners <laughs> and the devil himself, what exactly an angel of mercy or and slash or death is? Yes, I can do that. Um, so I'm so glad. Yeah. I'm I'm really um, confident in my abilities today. Uh, an angel of mercy, as I like to call them. I don't use the term angel of death just because, I don't know, it seems like a, We're going to be lot. at ends. It just seems like a lot. Angel of mercy seems like, I don't know, I'm on the, I'm on the mercy side. Anywho. Um, and I'm on the death side. Death That's why side. we have a podcast. Yeah. So angels of mercy, or angels of death, as Kenny likes to call them, uh, they are a rare type of of criminal offender who is usually involved in uh, healthcare. Um, so these are your folks who are in a position of power. They're nurses, they're doctors, they're some form of caretaker. Um, and they decide that uh, their victims would be better off dead. And they rationalize that by saying, you know, that if if the victim was dead, they would no longer be suffering. Um, usually they get started out on people who have severe illnesses, who are very sick, who are kind of struggling um, and suffering quite a lot. And the angel of mercy sort of plays God in a way mm-hmm. and decides, you know, you, you are suffering so much, you are struggling so much. Y- it would be better if you were dead, if you were at peace. Um, and so then they just decide to murder that person. So these are people that really toy with the idea of playing God. Yes. And usually what we see is that although they're, um, and it is different for every sort of profile, so I don't want to make sweeping general generalizations um, and have people thinking that, you know, I'm saying that they apply to every single case, but one commonality that we see is that these types of killers might start out with somebody who is actually ill, like I mentioned, who is actually suffering, um, and and kind of conceive of the idea to end their suffering by bringing about their death in a, and they see that as mercy in a merciful way. Yeah. Um, and then they sort of progress to they realize that they actually like the killing part of th- things, and they progress to killing victims who maybe aren't struggling so much like maybe they just have a broken fucking leg that's um 
Yeah, that's that's a that's a big difference. Yeah, there. you get a fucking splinter, and they're like, "It be, you be at peace, my child." And you're like, "Um, I'm okay though. Like, we could just get, Sir, we could just get I'm some just, tweezers." I'm just here for I'm just here for a checkup. Yeah, I'm really just here for my physical. Actually, uh, if you could just, you know, <laughs> and they're just like coming at you with the pillow. And they're just like, I've got you. "Don't worry, child." They're I will just put like you out of your misery. Going in with the morphine drip and you're like, whoa, I'm here for a blood <laughs> test. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, just have high cholesterol. <laughs> like, it's genetic. Everything's fine. It's, it's okay. Like, it's, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, f- frankly, after visiting the doctor, sometimes, I mean, yeah, please, just go ahead and kill me. <laughs> yeah. Afterwards, like, just go ahead and do it. And then just, you know, skip that step, right? Yeah, after going to prime care for a fucking stuffy nose and you get that, like, shitty-ass passive-aggressive fucking printout from the computer with your with your fucking prescription for your sn- snotty nose and uh, and then they give you another piece of paper that tells you you're fucking overweight. That. <laughs> Fuck you. I'm here because I can't fucking breathe out of my nostrils. Not to Doctor's be told like, that I'm overweight. You can't breathe out of your nostrils because you're fat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're like no i just have a cold no you're fat i got told by a doctor once that the computer just automatically prints that based on like your height and your uh weight when they take it when you come in thanks computer yeah for your preconceived notions of who the fuck i am (laughs) i'm like and my lifestyle like i came here today not fucking knowing that i'm overweight like really like i live any day in my life ever literally just one fucking day not knowing that i'm overweight i know like we know we're overweight We know we're overweight. That still doesn't stop me from hitting up that taco bar. <laughs> uh, but whatever. Yeah, it's um, stopping me right now. I'm trying. I'm trying. See, I have to not get type two diabetes because then I will be like I'm gonna end up in some place at the hands of an angel of mercy. That is true. And they're gonna be that like, let's true. just ease that insulin dependence. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna be like, no. Yeah. So you spoke of one type. I know there's also the type that um, will also uh, induce like some sort of like tragic, horrible thing in an attempt to save you. Yes. So there's a couple different types. Um, There's the mercy killer who truly believes that victims are suffering or at least in the beginning truly believes that victims are suffering or are beyond help. Um, usually that devolves into creating excuses though, for why they're suffering. There's the sadistic angel of mercy, um, who uses their position as a way of exerting power and control over helpless victims. You know, just get into, just get into S&M, right? Right? Like healthy, in a a healthy way, right? Consensual. Yes. Bondage. You know what I mean? Just try it out. Just try it out first. Yes. But I think (laughs) for those kinds of people... It's it's not because obviously BDSM is very regulated. It's very not regulated. That makes it sound like there's like, like a government wait, fucking body that regulates regulated. BDSM. <laughs> By whom? Oh my god, that would be amazing though. I want to be like the regulator. I <laughs> sounds like the fucking percolator. <laughs> and then what instead happens of when like, the regulator meets the percolator? <laughs> and then instead of like a uh, instead of like a professional designation behind my name, it's just like comma bdsm yeah <laughs> yeah yep. beautiful yeah um but what i was trying to say is like bdsm is very much controlled right so it's it's 
playing with the idea of having power, exerting power over another person um, if you're in a dominant role, right? And then for the submissive, it's playing with the idea of being at the total mercy of some other person who is, of course, the dom in that situation. But in reality, the person who has all, all the control in the interaction is the submissive party because at any point they can tap out at any point they can you know use their safe word or whatever it is that there's been that you've agreed upon um and holler stay spooky and then duck out like you know what i mean (laughs) Uh, if there's anybody out there who's using stay spooky as their safe word god bless you god bless you and keep you um so i think that these types of people particularly sadistic angel of mercy killers would really not um, be into the whole BDSM thing because it's not true power. They they want to exert actual, true, complete power over another person to the point of controlling their life, like Listen, holding their life in their hand. I'm just saying try it out first. <laughs> <laughs> just, just give it a shot before we step over into murder. Maybe, but a lot of times, like, shit like that, when people like that step into the BDSM community, like, you get sussed out real quick. Like, get the fuck out of here. Like, the minute you push a submissive, like, past their specific, like, rule that they said that they would not break, their boundary, Mm. you're fucked. Like, they get purged. So that's, uh, you know, that's why, honestly, a lot of these people are, you know, they may have been into BDSM. I know a couple cases where, you know, you have a serial killer or even somebody who fits into Angel of Mercy that is into BDSM, but they're not able to practice BDSM because nobody in the BDSM community fucks with any of that. Like, it's all about, like, consent. 100%. So, um, maybe they tried to get into BDSM and they were, they were like, shunned. Mm. Shunned. Shunned. Um, but anyways, you've got your mercy killer, you've got your sadistic angel of mercy, and you have your malignant hero. Um, which is what you were alluding to with uh, the pattern wherein the killer intentionally endangers the victim so that they can then save that same victim. So you come into the hospital for a broken leg and I, as you're attending, um, give you some kind of fucking, like, I give you... I don't know. I expose you, you to some crazy ass deadly virus. You throw Clorox in my face. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> probably not that obvious, but let's say I expose you to some sort of crazy ass bacteria. Ah. Like I, I, I shoot you up with Rabies. Um, 10 cc's of aquarium water, right? <laughs> what the fuck? It's you a, just go into the office doctor's office aquarium with a fucking syringe and the nurses are like, and the fucking people <laughs> waiting in the, in the office are just like <laughs> looking at you and you're just, and there's the office music playing and you're just like dipping the fucking water just into a fucking job. IV bag or Do my shit. job as a doctor. And you're just like, yep, nothing to see here. Have a good day. <laughs> Hello, Laura. How you doing? Hi. You how's, your, uh, how's your How's your sister, Nam? <laughs> <laughs> but no. So those types of like sick, twisted hero types, um, they do. They will make their subjects sick. They will intentionally endanger their subject's life, and then um, swoop in to save the day. Um, there's one particular case of a nurse, like way back in the day. I think she was like 1800s. I forget her name. I think her first name might have been Catherine. Um, fuck. 
Uh, We're just going to call her Catherine. Yeah, I guarantee everybody listening to this podcast pretty much knows it because it's a famous case, but it's from like the 1800s or the early 1900s. But she actually had this thing for... um, Kristen? uh, That doesn't sound right. I don't know. She would strangle her victim until they were on like death's doorstep and they had like what she described as a death wheeze, a death rattle. Um, And then she would let them let off and she'd let them get back to their normal breathing, right? So she would take them right up to death's doorstep, and then she would let off. Ah. And they would get back to normal, and then she'd choke them out again, and then <laughs> let them go. I mean, that's bad. I don't yeah. mean to laugh. But she, like... she actually was one of the few female killers who said that she actually got sexually aroused by yeah. that whole process. Which is very unusual for a female killer. Um. But was she, she the one she that would, like, lay beside them yes, afterwards? Yes, she would hold them. Yeah. And hold them. Yeah, she would, like, hold them. Do you know her name? Bitch, if you don't get the fuck away from me. Yeah, I'd be so pissed. Like, you don't already fucking choke me out trying to kill me, and now, you, now you're trying to cuddle. Fuck you. Yeah. Did you find her name? No, I don't know her name. But yeah. I remember reading about her. Hang on. Jane Toppin. Ah. Her name was Jane Toppin. She, um... Yeah, she was a nurse at Cambridge Hospital, and she would um, she was arrested in 1901. So all of her murders happened between 1895 and 1901, and she would strangle her victims, um, and then like get in bed with them and like snuggle with them and cuddle them as they like died. Fuck that. Mm, I don't think so. Yeah, no good, no good. I'm just trying to wrap my head around the type of person that uh, would be inclined to do this, what they, what goes through their head, and like what is really driving them to fucking take someone's life because that's always um, very, uh, that's always very heavy and very dark and evil. But especially in a place that you know you go to to not die. Right. right, a place that, you <laughs> a place that you're supposed to go for right. help. These people are supposed to help you and make you better. They're supposed to be givers of life, not takers of life. So it's really interesting to to think about um, the type of person that is in that field and how they can commit these acts of murder, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the interesting thing about uh, Angels of Mercy killers is that they strike at in a place that a person goes to like you said for safety for help for healing and they strike those that are most vulnerable Mm, yeah our elderly our sick our um you know the young handicapped in some way in some cases the young babies um you know who they don't get us huskies because we're big We big and we sturdy, (laughs) and we catch shit from a mile away. That's why. (laughs) Fuck you. But you know what? They could poison our food and fucking have us in a minute. So don't even. Who's eating hospital food? Not me. I'm gonna eat something. Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) You would absolutely. I would absolutely. No, you would be eating that fucking hospital mac and cheese, that hospital (laughs) tuna casserole, the little fucking cups of ice cream. Immediately, one hour in, little vanilla cup with the. They serve you with the wooden spoon. Mm-hmm. But not even a spoon. It's like a fucking. It's a, like, here's your fucking yeah. popsicle stick to eat good. your fucking yeah. ice cream with. What as the an adult, fuck? as a fucking fully ev- developed adult, I'm fucking trying to eat ice cream on this fucking popsicle stick. This is bullshit. Y'all better give me some real tools. 
uh, that's when you get a straw and just mix it up real yeah. good and mm-hmm. then make it a milkshake. Nice. This is why I get the printout when I go to fucking prime care. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> about being overweight. So I figured that I would start us off today with the quintessential poster child for Angels of Mercy killers, Donald Harvey. I have no idea who that is, but continue. You acted like you knew what I was going to, like like you knew what I was going to say or, or do when I found out who you were covering. I don't know who that is. So Donald Harvey is probably somebody that our listeners, well, I don't know, maybe you haven't heard of him, um, but a lot of folks in the true crime community will be quite familiar with his crimes. Um, you guys know that on this show, we usually try to stray away from covering um, the same big names that everybody knows already. Um, but for this particular episode, talking about uh, Angels of Mercy, I felt like he was kind of the, I don't want to use the word perfect to describe this man, but he was the most uh, appropriate the quintessential. Representative. Yeah, the quintessential, like I said, the poster child for Angels and Mercy Killers. Um, so, and if you don't know his story, buckle the fuck up. I'm buckled. Um, so, Donald Harvey was born in Butler County, Ohio. He is, um, he kind of, he struggled. Um, he had always been interested in the medical field. Um, he started his career as an orderly at Marymount Hospital in London, Kentucky. So he, while he was there, he basically, you know, he wasn't necessarily a healthcare official. He cleaned rooms, he straightened things up, he assisted um, as an orderly, but he wasn't necessarily, um, he wasn't necessarily like a full-fledged, like, attending at He wasn't point. medically trained. He was helping out. Yeah. Um. He later confessed that during that 10-month period when he worked at the hospital, he killed at least a dozen patients Shit. during that time. So that's, uh, if you do the math, over a 10-month period, killing over a dozen people is more than one a month. Well, well, well thank you, Katie. Yes. Um, so very sort of consistent schedule he, there from the beginning. He had, um, he had an extra month. One month. He just... He was like, I'm going to get one more in. Yeah. Uh, Maybe it was leap year. I don't know. Um, (laughs) So he has always maintained that he killed out of a pure sense of empathy. um, That he saw people who were suffering, who were terminally ill, um, and wanted to ease their pain. But there have also been interviews with him uh, where he admitted in certain cases that certain killings were due to anger at the victim or born out of anger at the victim. Um, so that kind of calls into question his uh, empathetic excuse, I guess. Mm-hmm. So uh, Donald Harvey, as a child um, or as a young man, uh, sort of struggled. He was in, as I mentioned, London, Kentucky, uh, born in Ohio, then moved to Kentucky later on. Um, he was gay. Um, or as the source that I, one of the sources that I checked out for this story, put it, uh, quote, a homosexual and self-styled occultist, <laughs> end quote, which could potentially describe you. Fuck yeah. A homosexual and self-styled. Self-styled occultist. Occultist. 
I'll I, make sure ma'am, that they I believe that I have found my new nameplate. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to read, instead of Midnight Werewolf, the editor, I wanted to read Homosexual. <laughs> <laughs> and then I can be self-styled occultist. Yeah. <laughs> we just yep. have side-by-side desks. It's good. It works. Um, yes, so Donald Harvey was very... Um, he didn't quite fit in where he was he you know it's the early 70s he's in Kentucky even now in Kentucky certain parts of Kentucky it's it's kind of difficult for gay folk um but he and kind of throughout his childhood there are a couple different accounts from people who were kind of like oh he was a little bit different you know he's a little bit off he's he seemed harmless but a little weird you know um he struggled uh, with his, so he, he worked at Marymount Hospital, um, and he uh, was later arrested for, while he was working there, um, in March of 1971, he uh, was arrested for burglary, um, and he pled guilty to a reduced charge of petty theft the following day, April 1st, and he got off on a $50 fine. However, his judge in that case recommended psychiatric treatment for his, quote, troubled condition. And now it's difficult for us to know whether that judge was talking about an actual psychiatric disorder that he was able to kind of ascertain in young Donald Harvey, or if he was just talking about him needing to not be gay anymore because gay is bad. Yeah. And God don't like gay. You know? Yeah. I'm uh, probably that. Yeah. Probably that. I think his troubled condition probably referred more to his sexual orientation. Yeah. Which, of course, is just fine. Um, but it's that whole, like, un, you know, undesirable urge to murder other human beings that's yeah. really not so groovy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically the judge recommended psychiatric treatment. However, um, Harvey chose the Air Force instead, which I didn't know that that was a choice. What? Um, <laughs> what? So instead of like getting medical help, uh, he was like, I'll just join the Air Force. What? Yeah, it sounds, it sounds fine. Fuck? It sounds totally fine, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> judge is like, you, you're fucking crazy. Yeah. You're also, uh, no, that's what it was. He sent him to the Air Force to man him up. To squash Maybe, the st- squash possibly. the mo out of him, but it was actually his choice to go there. I don't know. Oh well, I don't know. Well, maybe that's why he was given that choice. Possibly, it's Kentucky. Can we really yeah. can go we to the really Air Force? Man up, suss it out. Yeah. Um. So he he does go to the Air Force and he serves for about ten months before he was prematurely discharged in March of 1972 on unspecified grounds. So mm. we don't really know why he was discharged. Maybe it had something to do with bad behavior. Ah. Maybe it had something to do with the other kind of fun ah. bad behavior, like all that, like mm, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Air Force. Uh, so um, he returns home to Kentucky, and he was committed to the Veterans Administration Medical Center in Lexington, Kentucky, um, twice. Once from July 16th to August 25th, and again in the fall uh, from September 17th to October 17th. Um, Those uh, committals to the Veterans Administration Medical Center were, um, according to his mother, for mental disorders. Um, So it was specifically mental illness. 
um, was why he was kind of checked in there. Um, she said that Donald was kept in restraints and that his lawyers um, later referred to a bungled suicide attempt at the VA um, in Lexington. Um, while he was there, he received 21 electroshock therapy treatments. 21? And, and we all know how running electricity through your brain works out. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Actually, you know, you can you can be all right. I had some family members that had that done. Um, <laughs> For a split second, I thought you were going to tell me I've had that done, and it was it was good. I you know I popped you, in um, in an office during lunch one day, had some electroshock therapy. It was great. I guarantee to you that if I had been around in their like sixties and early seventies, I would have been an electroshock therapy patient. Oh, totally. It actually can be quite like nowadays. Um, I think it actually is still sort of a thing, but it's a lot different. Um, but it actually can be successful. I've heard in certain yeah when you don't fry your illness. fucking brain yeah. yeah when you're not trying when to you just don't kinda... fucking plug your brain up to a goddamn car battery and fucking just let it go yeah when it's not the early seventies and you're just kind of winging it you know <laughs> uh, it's, what uh, happens when if it's we hook this person really up specific. to this fucking massive electrical current and just fucking let it rip kind of like how they used to lobotomize women who were rebellious. Uh, they just chip off a piece of your fucking brain, and then you'd be just fine. <laughs> then you'd never complain about anything ever again. No. Uh, you either get a lot of bottomy or you get the dick. Which one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically, after his two stays at the VA, um, he Donald Harvey emerged with no visible improvement um, in his mental condition. So uh, naturally, after you know. Being charged with a burglary, joining the Air Force, getting kicked out of the Air Force for shady reasons, having two long, lengthy-ish stays in uh, in a hospital, receiving electroshock therapy, uh, he decided that what he needed to do was uh, get a new job. Just uh, go into an interview. New year, new me. Can you imagine that fucking interview? Like, what what are you doing? Like, who do you think that you're hiring? Listen. <laughs> You 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 never know who you're hiring. That's the point. I guess, but I feel like this guy did not like. Clearly, he, um, you know, researching his case. Clearly, he was able to kind of pull himself together and fool a bunch of people, which is common in this type of killer. But like, I just can't imagine how you walk out of an electroshock therapy session and into a job interview. But honey, you know, he was a self-styled occult, <laughs> occultist. He could do whatever the fuck he wanted to do. Fair. That's true. That's true. Um, so Donald Harvey, of course, concealed his record, his history of mental illness, his history, you know, of run-ins with the law, his, um, history at, um, Marymount Hospital in London and found work as a part-time nurse's aide, aide at, uh, Cardinal Hill Hospital in Lexington. Hmm. So he worked there between February and August of 1973, and in June, he actually picked up a second nursing job at Lexington's Good Samaritan Hospital, um, and he remained in that position through January of 1974. Um, He also picked up between August of 1974, um, so, so he stayed at those hospitals, again, February to August, and then had another position that was June to January. Um, then in August 1974, I guess he found himself unemployed again, and um, he worked as a phone operator in Lexington. 
And then he moved on to a job as a clerk at St. Luke's Hospital in Fort Thomas, Kentucky. You're getting a sense of a pattern here. He works somewhere for six months, eight months, nine months, and then moves on. Yeah. Right? It's very... And that is common in Angel Angel of Mercy killers because you can't hang around too long because then people realize that when you're fucking on shift, the death rate, like, fucking yeah. skyrockets. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yep. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Come to just come to find out that you were fucking killing people this whole time. It's not going to take that long, right? Like yes. you're no patterns sort of start to emerge. People start sort of start to talk, and no matter how secretive you are with things, you know people notice things because people die. Yes, there is a death. Well, I don't. I mean, even in cases where there's not specifically a death, like I don't know if you have spent a lot of time around nurses, but fucking nurses notice. Everything when it has to do with the fucking patient, like they notice goddamn everything, and everything is charted, right? So, even in a case where you don't necessarily kill the victim, you're gonna do something funny, and somebody's gonna see it eventually. Well, if certain medications might come up missing while you're on shift or anything like that, if you stay there long enough, something's gonna happen. If you develop a pattern, clever nurse, nurse is gonna see you. Yes, don't develop a pattern. Do so that we can catch you. Um, But throughout this time period, essentially, um, Donald Harvey was able to supposedly keep his killing urge in check. Oh, I'm so glad. Supposedly he didn't kill anybody. Um, However, it was becoming increasingly more difficult for him to manage uh, the impulse. And eventually it drove him away from his home in Kentucky across the border into Cincinnati. So from September 1975 through July of 1985, uh, Donald Harvey kind of cycled through a uh, a bunch of different positions at the Cincinnati um, VA, basically. Um, So not the one where he had been a mental illness patient. Okay. (laughs) But you would think that they would have some kind of records that would, you know, kind of Some sort of vetting service that they would be like, Right. But back in the day, you know, back in this sort of time period, we're looking at the mid-70s when he started working at the Cincinnati VA, um, that sort of thing was not as well developed. If you crossed state lines, like, you were golden. Um, There was even a time period, I think it was before the 70s, um, like, well before the 70s, but still, like, would have been in recent history at that point, where if you crossed state lines, let's let's say that you robbed... um, a store in North Carolina and then you crossed into the Virginia, like you crossed over the Virginia state border, North Carolina police could not pursue you to Virginia because now you're in Virginia and you didn't commit a crime there. Um, So that was kind of before law enforcement really started working together and creating, um, you know, databases that span state lines, databases that are national, international, you know, having, the sort of um, records on people so that you cannot just go to a different state and start practicing medicine if you did something crazy in, an, you know, yeah. in, a, in your home state. Yeah. Um, although that still does happen today due to glitches in that program. Yeah. Um, but it was a lot easier when Donald Harvey was a thing. Um, so he, at the Cincinnati VA, he worked as a nursing assistant. He was also a housekeeping aide. At one point, he was a cardiac catheterization technician, which it kind of seems like, I feel like you need some kind of education for that. You know? Doesn't seem like an on-the-job well, sort of thing. You, yeah, I don't training. think you get hands-on training for that. Yeah, I don't think... I don't think uh, there's a two-week 
you know, hands-on job shadowing that you yeah. have to complete for that. Like that's running a tube through somebody's fucking heart. Um, so, yeah. Uh, he was also an autopsy assistant. The fuck? Interestingly enough. Um, this man's got too many jobs. Which would be a job that I would love. Again, no personal life. You can have a lot of jobs if you have no one in your life. Um, so as in, interestingly, this is very, uh, this is very morbid and horrible. Uh, at, while he worked as an autopsy assistant, he actually sometimes stole tissue samples from the morgue and he would take them home, quote, for study. So he said. <laughs> for study. Yeah. Uh, maybe just study like a, a, like a, like a painting. Or something, you know? Yeah, you know, I don't... Uh, mm. I don't think I need fucking um, biomedical, like... Like dead body in my fucking home. Yeah, no. Mm, don't need that. Um, no, no. No, I don't think so. So while he was working at the Cincinnati VA Medical Center, he uh, murdered at least 15 patients. Um, he would give them an occasional dose of poison. Um, at one point, he joked with a nurse on the ward um, after a patient's death that he, quote, got rid of that one for you, end quote. Mm, mm, I don't... You, uh, <sighs> yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of in bad form. I would say. It's bad taste, you know, and that's coming from us. Um, yeah. If you threw that joke out, I would I would shoot it down. We definitely edit it out. <laughs> um so this is kind of where we see him moving from, you know, only affecting what he saw as like suffering patients to moving on to people who are not necessarily suffering. Um there was a neighbor um, whose name was Diane Alexander, that he had had, one day Harvey had a fight with her, and he actually laced her beverage with hepatitis serum. What the fuck? There's a serum? Yes. There's a hepatitis serum? Yes. Um, Shit. He, he put it in her drink and then almost killed her before the infection was diagnosed and treated by a physician. Shit. Hepatitis serum? That's uh, that. That's on another level. Yes. That's like... You're f- mm, hepatitis. I didn't even know a thing like. Why does a thing like that exist? <laughs> well, I think it's uh, serum means like antidote, right? So I think it was like hepat. I think it was like a vaccine or something. But you're definitely not supposed to like fucking drink it. Like that's not a thing. Like I don't think you do that, unless they were using serum in that sentence as like a, as like essence of hepatitis. But <laughs> I don't know why you'd have that hanging out. Just an essence of hepatitis. Um, a serum is an amber-colored, protein-rich liquid that separates out when blood coagulates. I don't. I don't think that was right. I think it. Oh, maybe it was. Um, Had uh, hepatitis blood. Yeah. Maybe that's possible. Could Ooh, be that. That would make more sense. Yeah. That would. Yeah. That's grosser. So. Um, anyway, facts. It's fine. Um, <laughs> So, uh, on July 18th of 1985, Donald Harvey was caught leaving work with a suspicious... Suspicious. Satchel. 
suspicious suspicious satchel suspicious satchel is gonna be like the new item in our merch i'm gonna make a satchel for sure and it's just gonna say suspicious Suspicious. maybe not maybe that gets you stopped by the police though (laughs) um anyway uh donald harvey was caught leaving work with a suspicious satchel uh, inside, the guards who stopped him found a 38 caliber pistol, hypodermic needles, <laughs> surgical scissors, gloves, a cocaine spoon, <laughs> two books of occult lore, <laughs> and a biography of serial killer Charles Sabraj. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, with the exception of the hypodermic needles, which I may or may not be carrying if I am carrying my mother's insulin. Um, this sounds like it could be my suspicious satchel. Also the cocaine spoon, because I don't fuck with that. I was going to say, but not the cocaine spoon. Maybe a cocaine spoon. Oh, you know what it is? It's it's like my obsession with little teeny spoons. Right? Oh, So yeah. it, for me, is a fucking yogurt spoon. Uh, for the cops, it's a Coke spoon. Yeah. That's <laughs> for ridiculous. For me, it's just my tiny The cops spoon. just pulling all that out. And, like, literally the only thing you're missing is, like, a fisting dildo. Like, <laughs> yep. And that's it. You know what? I think the fisting dildo, like, gets you off from the cops, though. Like. <laughs> gets you off? Uh, it might. <laughs> well, no, it, it doesn't think, work for I think, me. I think that normalizes everything else in the bag because it's oh. like, oh, okay, you're just a freak. Okay, cool. Yeah. Like. We're just going to take these needles because okay. that's not cool. I'm going to take the needles and the cocaine. You have a good right. night, just, sir. Wait, not cocaine. Just a cocaine spoon. Oh, well, I'm a, oh yeah. You can't take the cocaine spoon. Yeah. Because yeah. that's my yogurt spoon. Anyway. Um, so he has this, this weird bag with all this weird shit in it. And um, he was actually cited for bringing the, the biggest issue that they saw, obviously, is the thirty eight caliber pistol, and they cited him for bringing a weapon into the VA facility, because that is a big no-no. And they fined him 50 whole dollars. <laughs> 1985. Love um, it. Here's, here's a 50. So, uh, yeah, they fined him $50, and he was also forced to resign from his job at the VA. But never fear, because this motherfucker is one of the most employable bastards <laughs> that we've ever covered on this he show. He has an extensive resume. Seven months later, in February of 1986, Donald Harvey was hired as a part-time nurse's aide at Cincinnati's Drake Memorial Hospital. And he worked his way up over time, because he's a hard worker, to a full-time position. So... He would spend 13 months at Drake Memorial Hospital before his ultimate arrest by officers. Uh, during that 13 months, he murdered 23 more patients. That's a rate of almost two people a month. That is insane. That would have to be awkward for the hiring manager. Yeah. <laughs> like, ugh. Yeah. Like, you didn't see this? Yeah. You didn't see the cocaine spoon that he carried? Or the fucking weapons that he was bringing in? Well, again, he's... he. We'll talk about that when we get to the end of the case. So, um, 23 more people die. Are murdered. Um, and he does this by disconnecting life support equipment, um, injecting patients with mixtures of arsenic, cyanide, and a 
petroleum-based cleanser. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, outside of work, he sometimes practiced. So, so at this point in his life, he has a lover, um, Carl Howler, and he would sometimes practice on Carl. Uh, they would have like an argument or something, and Donald would would poison him, and then nurse him back to health. Uh, okay. Remember that one episode where we talked about chem sex? Yeah. <laughs> this is not teetering. That. Yeah. Dangerously close. Definitely not that. So, because it was motivated out of like you know they had had an argument. He was angry, so he would dose him with this poison, and then he'd nurse him back to health. Oh, he also he wasn't a willing participant. No, he didn't know. No, oh, he did not know. Oh, oh, no, okay. no, no. I thought we were getting into kinky. Oh no, like, no, okay. it wasn't. I mean, it was fucked, but it wasn't kinky at all. It was, it was. He did not know. Okay. Um, and then Donald would nurse him back to health after he had poisoned him. Um, Carl's parents were also poisoned, and although his father survived, his mother did not. Oh shit. So she was actually one of Harvey's victims. Um, on March 7th, 1987, um, John Powell, who was a patient at uh, Drake Memorial Hospital, um, who had passed away, his death was ruled a murder. And autopsy results that were ordered by the state uh, placed legal, lethal doses of cyanide in his system. Um, officers, you know, investigated and there were, it wasn't that lengthy of an investigation. They talked to nurses, they talked to people on staff and they kind of like figured out, um, I, I think there was something with the, um, the, um, medicine dispenser, which is interesting that you mentioned that early on. Um, there was a code that you would have to put in to get medicine out of the dispenser Mm -hmm. and somehow they were able to figure out that. Donald Harvey was like the one who was taking this shit out. Maybe like he had stuff a would go code. missing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, stuff would go. I, I don't think it was that simple, but basically they were able to figure out like what times was he on shift. They were able to trace it back at, to Yeah. Him. They basically charted all of these deaths that were happening and the fact that their death rate had gone up so much after he had been hired. Um, and they looked at the hours when people were passing away and who was on shift and what have you. Um, and so they arrested him in April. And they charged him with one count of aggravated murder, of course, um, John Powell's murder. And they held him under a $200,000 bond. Um, He originally pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. Um, But by August 11th, he had confessed to a total of 33 murders. And uh, his $200,000 bond was revoked two days later. And new charges in the case were filed. Um, This kind of ushered in a period of time where he kind of played the numbers game with prosecutors. Um, He added victims left and right, and soon we were up to 52 victims in all. Um, They questioned his mental state heavily and also put him through a bunch of psychiatric tests um, and, you know, had him work with some psychiatric experts um, to evaluate him. And eventually he was ruled sane, competent, um, but a compulsive killer. Um, so on August 18th of 1987, Donald Harvey pled guilty in Cincinnati on 24 counts of aggravated murder, four counts of attempted murder, and one count of felonious assault. Um, there was a 25th guilty plea, a 25th murder guilty plea, um, that was added four days later. And 
all told that earned him a total of four consecutive life sentences, um, as well as a $270,000 fine. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess you have those four consecutive life sentences to pay that off, buddy. It was kind of said that that was added as like a, a just for good measure type thing because the court never, um, never really expected to get a penny of that fine from him, obviously. Um, so uh, from there on, he kind of confessed to a, a lot of murders. He confessed to a dozen murders while he was at Marymount, which is the first hospital he ever worked at. Um, as an orderly, when we talked about up top, um, he entered a formal guilty plea on nine counts of murder at Marymount in November. Um, interestingly, that put him over John Wayne Gacy's record for accumulated victims. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And mm, I don't really necessarily have a doubt that he killed those people but it's just interesting how once he was caught then it became like a numbers game of well i've killed like this many people and like you know it, how it's almost like a search for notoriety yeah like you gotta outdo gacy yeah. right because he's yeah. the dude to beat or whatever yeah um so those uh the murder of those nine uh victims earned him another eight life sentences plus 20 years um but he still wasn't finished confessing to shit. Um, because back in Cincinnati in February of 1988, he entered guilty pleas on three more homicides and three more attempted murders. And he got three life sentences from that, plus three terms of seven to 25 years on the latter charges for the attempted murders. Um, basically, he ended up with 37 confirmed murder victims, um, while his confessions nearly tripled that count. Um, and Basically, this motherfucker has just as many charges as he does fucking jobs. Or had jobs. Basically, yeah. Shit. Yes. So he um, he is the official, um, he held the official record as America's most prolific serial killer. Well, that's a stupid title. Yeah. So he, now he may be outdone by Israel Keys, but not all of Israel Keys' um Murders have been confirmed, um, but Donald Harvey is, um, those 37 confirmed murder victims are actually like, you know, they think that it's a solid case that he actually, he actually did do that. I think a lot of his other, um, confessions are just him talking shit. You know, these, these fuckers get caught and then it becomes a game of, well, I have to be the most notorious. I have to be the most fearsome. Well, what else do you have to scary. lose, right? Like, if you're already caught and you're in jail and you're in there for life, like, you know what I mean? Like, you can see why someone would want to make the most of that situation, right? right? To have to have the notoriety. But it still just pisses me off because it's like, no, you're not, you are not worthy of notoriety because you are just a fucking pissant. Like, you are just a little boy, a little scared gay boy in fucking Kentucky who could never get your fucking shit straight and you had like nasty horrible demons inside you and you never learned how to keep them at bay and so you destroyed people mm, like yeah. you don't deserve any notoriety you deserve to rot in a Kentucky prison for the rest of your days I don't I don't know if he actually ended up staying in Kentucky or Cincinnati but some of that too is like back and forth like when he's confessing to murders in Kentucky and then other murders in Cincinnati, like they're schlepping him back and forth between the two. So he's getting travel out of it. 
So, like, why wouldn't I say that I killed, like, nine more people in Cincinnati if I know that it's going to get me a trip back to Cincinnati? At least it's a break from my jail cell. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. So, I think that's part of it, too. Um, but I think, overall, people who knew him, people who talked to, people who worked with him, um, said that he was just kind of, that he was totally forgettable. Um, hmm. which is probably why he got away with what he got away with for so long because he did change jobs fairly often and because he was kind of totally under the radar. He was forgettable. Yeah. And so I think it's interesting that somebody like that is then driven to, you know, try to claim this this notoriety that really, I don't know that he killed 87 people. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, not to downplay, obviously, the struggles of the victims that, you know, the 37 confirmed cases that we do have. But, um, you know, I I just don't believe in giving these people power. And so, fuck them. Fuck fuck all angels of mercy killers. Um, Fuck especially Donald Harvey. Um, And, yeah. (laughs) This case makes me really mad. That was a lot. (laughs) Fuck you. Yeah. Um, That's not how I end every case but I just I his particular case makes me so angry because it's like I get that you were growing up in Kentucky I get that you were different from everybody around you but that doesn't mean that you have to murder people like you could move to New York and like get into ball culture or or something or something anything literally anything else literally anything but that like even the weird stuff yeah that's okay literally anything anything else Literally anything but that. But, Mm. you know, instead you're praying, um, you're praying on people who are vulnerable because that's the only people you can prey on because you're nothing. You know? Yeah. It's bullshit. It is. Well, you mentioned earlier, and, and speaking of him, this guy who seemed to be kind of a loner, um... And went under the radar, Mm -hmm. which is typical of a lot of these Angel of Mercy killers. Yes. Um, But what I'm bringing to the table today isn't just one. It's four. Mm, Okay. Working together? Working together. Interesting. A team. A team. A team of four women. Okay. I'm not going to cheer for that, not cuz I'm not a feminist, but like let's just let's just have better goals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> better better goals. Let's have another type of monthly women's meeting that doesn't involve murder. Yeah. Maybe. How about How about um, start a coven? Yeah, start a coven. We could, you know, build a fire. We could have s'mores once once a month. We could have an orgy. You know, there's a lot that we could do. Um that's not that. Yeah. Like, that's not murder. Yeah. So these are four angels of death <laughs> um, from uh, Vienna, actually. Oh, Vienna the country? Yes. Oh, cool. All right. Uh, beginning in 1983, and I have to thank um, AlteredDimensions.net for this article. We love a .NET website. We love a .NET. Love it has a, a .NET. picture of a little alien on it and everything. 
Yes, um, I'm, I'm familiar actually with altered dimensions. Oh, are you? <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm. I'm familiar. It, their tagline says, "Give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown." Yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Indeed, been there before. So, beginning in 1983, a series of crimes occurred in Vienna, Austria, that Chancellor Franz Wrenzinski called the most brutal and gruesome crime in Austria's history. Okay, I'm sorry, I missed the year. <laughs> God damn it. You said it first, but I missed it. 1983. Okay, 83. Okay, cool. Yeah, 1983. I'm just trying to figure out if I put it, like, because you use the word tra- chancellor, and I'm like, hmm, do I put this in, like... The 1700s, because <laughs> immediately my mind's like, oh, Chancellor, and everyone's in period costuming. But no, uh, no it was 83. Maybe they still used, I don't know. Right. I don't fucking live in Austria in 1983. I, I think it's a pretty modern country, actually. I don't know why I fucking did that. I'm just dumb. So the crimes took place within the walls of the Lions General Hospital and would prove so horrifying, the four nurses who committed them would come to be known as the Angels of Death. Together, for seven years between 1983 and 1989, they killed scores of people. Scores. Scores. Got it. 23-year-old Waltraud Wagner. What a name. I think maybe if it's Vienna, it would be like Waltraud. I don't know. That I'm not even going to try to do that. It not sounds good, though. It sounds better than Wall Trout. Wall Trout. Listen, we're in. That's interesting. Listen, we're over here in the States. and Wall Trout. Wall Trout and Proud. Yes. Well, this Wall Trout worked the graveyard shift at this, uh, at the hospital, which was a very, uh, very nice facility. It was fixed into the side of a hill next to the Vienna Woods, had about 2,000 staff members watching over patients, and was the fourth largest medical facility in Vienna, um, and was considered one of the premier hospitals. Got it. In Austria. Something about it being perched like right by the woods, though, is It's a little foreboding. Yeah. Like I'm seeing it's cold. I don't even know what the weather's like in Vienna, but I'm seeing like cold snow. It could be like in in an Ari Aster film, right? Yes. That's that's (laughs) what I'm getting from that. So Wagner worked in Pavilion 5. Uh, An area of the hospital served for difficult cases, uh, meaning older patients who were unruly, mentally ill, or otherwise required special attention. And it was in Pavilion 5 during the spring of 1983 where a 77-year-old woman reportedly asked Wagner to end her life. Hmm. Wagner complied, injecting a lethal dose of morphine into the woman's arm. She would later confess that it was at that moment she discovered the holding power discovered that holding the power of life and death in her hands was intoxicating. Hmm. And she began killing more patients. Hmm. How clear are, are we on whether that woman actually did ask her to end her life? I'm not or whether she just kind of decided that she was gonna go ahead and do that and maybe made from up the every from what I've her. read, that's how it had started. Okay, but again, that's more than likely probably her. I mean, we her say we for certainly it. can't get the other side of the story. No, we can't get so, the other side uh, of the story. Um, but I don't know, like, if later on you confess to murders, why you just wouldn't confess to that one. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I don't know. 
Possible. Could be up in the air. Killers like to write their own stories, though, and it could just not quite fit into her. The narrative. woman was you know like, I mean? leave me the fuck alone. I mean, it's completely possible. It, uh, yeah. Completely possible that that was the case instead of like this like weird, empathetic Kevorkian sort of situation that she's trying to paint. Yeah. Um, so Wagner was described as very charismatic, charming, manipulative, using her natural born leadership abilities. She awakened the sadistic instincts in three other nurses by recruiting them to assist in her murderous spree. The first to join her little cult was 19 year old Maria Gruber, a nursing school dropout. And single mother. Yep, there it is. See, a lot of these people are, certainly not all, some of them are very intelligent and highly capable, but a lot of them, um, I would say an overwhelming majority of them are people who fell just short of the mark. Yeah. Nursing school dropout. Somebody like Harvey who was, Nursing school dropout. (laughs) Great, thank you for that. Um. But somebody who maybe wanted to be a doctor but never actually made it to being a doctor or became a doctor but then wasn't respected by fellow physicians or what have you. It's somebody who is in some way lacking. Yes. Next was 21-year-old Irene Lydolf, a married woman who sought any means available to stay away from home. <laughs> so you hey. just start murdering people at work? Yeah, I don't understand. There's a lot better ways you could stay home. Like... Pick up an extra shift. Get Clean a second up trash job. on the freeway, babe. Like, like leave your fucking husband if he's if you know what I mean. Get a divorce. Yeah. Go to Mexico. Yeah. Like fuck it. Again, any other thing than other than what you're about to fucking do. Yeah. The last nurse recruited was 43 year old Stefania Meyer, a divorced grandmother who had recently immigrated from Yugoslavia. Wait, she was 43 and 40 she was a divorced grandmother. Three mother. Yeah. Damn. Together, the four women turned the nurses' ward into their own lethal concentration camp. So, in the beginning, the angels of death uh, apparently killed, you know, patients with overdoses of morphine, insulin, mm-hmm. and tranquilizers. Mm-hmm. But then it started to turn into this thing where they would murder people who were just bothering them. Mm-hmm. So the slightest annoyance from a patient could trigger their wrath. A a patient that snored too loud, complained too often, if they soiled the bed, refused their medication, or if they buzzed them um, too many times, um, that would put them on their kill list. According to trial testimony, Wagner would loudly announce, this one gets a ticket to God. Soon, killing the patients was not enough. The angels of death wanted to see their victims gasping for their lives. One nurse uh, would hold the patient's head while another pinched the victim's nose. Mm -hmm. Then the patient's tongue was held down with a stick and water poured into the victim's mouth until they drowned. Mm -hmm. Although they admitted to enjoying the sight of the patient's struggle, um, there was a logic to their method as well. Since the lungs of elderly patients frequently fill with water, the water routine in their minds would make it difficult to determine the true cause of death. Hmm. So by 1988, five years after I don't know, the maybe began, extreme bruising and on like their face and neck and like possibly, chest and like 
you know. I mean, I feel like Maybe if you have like give you away like a gallon of Aquafina down your fucking throat, maybe yeah. that's a sign. I don't know. I'm not a medical professional. Check it out. You know, if they have like full bruising all the way around their neck that perfectly fits the hands of, you know, the, the suspect, nurse on maybe charge. Look into it. Maybe look into that a little bit. Yeah, maybe. Just just check it out. This is why if I ever have to go into an old folks home, I'm going to have a fucking air horn <laughs> underneath my mattress. And I will fucking use that shit. If you come over be, here, I'm gonna be in the bed. Up on me. You'll be in like the bed beside me. I'm gonna me. be in the bed beside you, but like fucking asleep. Yeah, and, just, and I won't be, be able to get you up, and I'll panic, and then I'll blow my air horn. You'll be like, God damn it! Either that, or you blow the air horn, and I still don't wake up. I'm oh, just no, like it's sad though asleep. now. <laughs> no. Asleep? I hope. I yeah. hope you haven't been visited by Waltrout. No, because I'm not gonna. <laughs> No, girl, because I'm not going to be needy. I'm, <laughs> man, yes, the fuck out. I will. Yes, you will. You'd be such a fucking prima donna. You'd be like, where's my hospital food? <laughs> where's my fucking ice cream? Mm-hmm. So by 1988, uh, five years after the murders began, the hospital suspected something was amiss. And rumors surfaced that a killer was at large in Pavilion 5. Workers began to call the area the Death Pavilion. In April of 1989, the killings continued and Dr. Xavier Penzendorfer was suspended for failing to launch a timely investigation into the unusual number of deaths in his wing. And that Mm. would come up later in the investigation after everybody um, was arrested. Mm. Uh, They... The authorities claimed that they were met with a wall of silence at the hospital when they investigated some of the earlier cases. Yeah. And that's pretty, um, I didn't mention it as much in uh, Donald Harvey's case just because there's so fucking much. But like, um, that's something that holds true in his case and in a lot of these Angel of Mercy, Angel of Death cases where um, the hospital's realize that they've potentially maybe hired somebody who's like not really super okay and in order to avoid any sort of criticism they just lock it or a lawsuit yeah any sort of criticism any sort of lawsuit they don't want anything to do with that and so they lock the shit down and they either fire that person dismiss them or you know maybe the angel of mercy already moved on right of their own accord usually they get fired or dismissed um and then the hospital just doesn't say anything. Yeah. Whereas if, you know, in some of these cases, like, you know, in his case, if the first hospital, if Marymount Hospital, where he worked, had said something, had said, look, we had this guy, he's not okay, it was super sketchy, it was super suspicious, like, we think that he's been fucking around and doing, like, you know, unsafe shit, right? We think, we think he's been fucking murdering people. Um you know, then maybe other hospitals would not have been so quick to hire him. But it's so difficult to get the hospitals to just acknowledge. And that's something that's true even today. Yeah. I mean, the Dr. Death um, podcast, which is amazing. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. That just happened in, in like 2000. And I think that guy was arrested in like 2015. And it was a doctor who was totally inept and he was either intentionally trying to hurt people or he was just super inept and he was doing like back surgeries. He paralyzed people. He killed people. And the hospital just said nothing. 
Yeah. Because I, they didn't want the flack. Yeah. I want the flack. Also, again, just don't want that fucking lawsuit. Yeah. They don't want to come up off that lawsuit money that they will be uh, fucking having to dole out to families and their victims. Right. Families, the victims of families. Yeah. But it's like you're creating more victims and families families of victims. Families of victims. By allowing this person to continue. Like you're creating more victims by letting this happen. Yeah. It's bullshit. Yes, it is. So the four women uh, would often stop by a local bar after work for a few drinks. So they would chit-chat about everything that had happened on uh, that day. Um. And in February... Chit-chat about waterboarding, you know. True, yes. You make it sound like it was like a Sex in the City brunch. Like it's that's kind of how it like fucking reads. It's like they get together and they cackle about the day's events and Mm -hmm. about how the victim's faces looked when they were struggling to breathe and some fucking bullshit like that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, not necessarily the best place to fucking uh, admit murder if you're not trying to get caught. Um, cause in February of 1989, a doctor inside the bar overheard the women giggling about their latest murder, um, which was an elderly woman named Julia Drapal and Julia had refused her medicine. Mm. Um, and for refusing her medicine, she paid the ultimate price for angering them. Mm. Um, the doctor then took the story to the police and the four nurses were arrested on April 7th of 1989. Um, the trial was pretty pretty quick and easy. Uh, together, the four women confessed to 49 murders over six years. Wagner freely confessed to 39 of her own, saying, quote, The ones who got on my nerves were given a free bed with the good Lord. Hmm. The other three nurses were quick to point fingers at Wagner, pinning the majority of the deaths on her. Uh, and they were convicted in March of 1991, uh, nearly 10 years after their murderous rampage begin, began. Uh, Wagner was convicted of 15 murders, 17 attempted murders, and two counts of assault and given life in prison. Lightoff was convicted of five murders and sentenced to life in prison. Meyer was convicted of manslaughter and attempted murder and sentenced to 20 years in prison. And Gruber was convicted of manslaughter and attempted murder and sentenced to 15 years in prison. Although the women confessed to 49 murders, um... Uh, the head of the of the Vienna's health department told reporters that um, Irene Lightoff had once told him that she thought they had killed at least a hundred elderly patients uh, at the hospital. Today, the unofficial count is believed to number at least two hundred and possibly as high as three hundred, but mm-hmm. we don't know. Um, and fun little update. Um. In Austria, life in prison is uh, considered too harsh. So, Meyer and Gruber were released Mm. from prison after only a few years. Fuck! I knew we were going here. I knew that we were going here. In April of 2008, Wagner and Lightoff were also released. The four women have since changed their names and are presumed to be living in Austria under aliases. So, how old are they now, though? Um, I guess the 43-year-old would be like, she would be super old. In late 60s, 70s, mid-70s, something like that. 83. When when were they arrested, though? 89. 
Yeah. So 26 years. Um, 29. Oh, my God. 30 years. Yeah, no, I'm turning 30. 30. Years. Yeah, 30 years. So she would be yeah, like 70, 73. Eight, yeah. Fuck, that bitch is old. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I knew that we were heading there. Um, during, so it was interesting because I actually was able to find a couple of, um, articles from when this was taking place. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, otherwise known as contemporary articles. Well, what the fuck ever. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. Otherwise, otherwise known as contemporary articles. <laughs> the fuck? This is the goddamn haunted heart. You know you're talking about? Otherwise known as contemporary articles. <laughs> Whatever. A fucking article from fucking... Way back when. Uh, yeah, all the way back when. All the way back when. years ago. Practically um, ancient. Yeah. These articles. Written in cuneiform. No, actually it was, uh, no, it was actually from, like, I think before 2008. Got it. Um, because this was before their release. Um, uh, they were trying to, like, do some, um, they were trying to get their cases appealed, I guess, prior to... Um, way prior to their release, um, and then some things changed with the um, the the system that meant that like if you go to a retrial, they can seek the death penalty. Mm. So then they were like, "Nah, no, I'm good. good. I'm good." And like, "Are you sure you want to do that? Because we can seek the death penalty now if you want." <laughs> State prosecutors like, "We can make that trial happen. I ma'am. can do it. We can I do can, it. I if you'd like, I'll clear my schedule." I'd be a, if I was the fucking, pro, I, I would be a Slytherin. I'd be like, all right, let's accept it. Come <laughs> on, we'll do it. So, but that's my story of the four um, stupid ass angels of death. Yeah. In Vienna. Old bitches. <laughs> Old hags. No, I, yeah, these, these stories inevitably, I mean, I'm always angry when I read about, um, when I'm reading about a murder case that always like, I either have, like, anger or sadness. Um, but these always make me really mad. Because it's like, again, and I know I've said this. I keep repeating it. But, like, you're going after somebody who is vulnerable. You're going yeah. after somebody who is, you know, you're not. Not that you should ever fucking murder anybody. But, like, these people make me so mad. Because it's like, you haven't, like, what have you fucking done? Like, this is somebody who's sick. This is somebody who's elderly. This is somebody who is, you know, not at their best, who's either not in their prime or who, you know, is... is It's coming to you for fucking help. Right, right. And you're, and you're acting like you snuffing out their life is like some sort of accomplishment. Yeah, no, it's like it's an hooray. ego trip. Like, it would be more of an accomplishment to heal this person, to take care of this person, to truly be a caretaker. And by the way, I feel like... Um, we haven't taken a minute on the show to stop and say, like, these people are the vast minority oh, yeah. among healthcare workers, oh, yeah. among EMTs, among um, nurses, doctors, like orderlies, yeah. scribes, all of those people. I mean, both our parents are in healthcare. So, right. Like, right. We so, completely understand. Yeah. To, to all the nurses, to all the healthcare workers, all across, you know, thank you for what you do. And this is not about you. Like, you are good and you are doing the righteous thing to, you know, try to help people and heal people. But it just makes me, and it probably is because, you know, both of our moms work in healthcare that, like, 
this makes me so mad because it's like I know what it's like to I I see firsthand what it's like to fight so hard for a patient's life and to devote yourself to taking care of other people truly yeah that these people make me so angry because it's like you you you're just like such a blight on a group of people who truly are selfish. Yeah, selfless. And, and, I, and I'm with you. I think it's much more of an accomplishment to put forth your energy to save a life, to bring someone back. If someone is at that brink between life and death, to be able to help them, to bring them back, like, right. and to nurse them back to health, right. that right there, that is what shows strength and courage and everything that is worthy of admiration. Right. Um, not fucking slipping somebody some fucking poison, like right. a fucking coward. Right. And ending their life. Right. And feeling some sort of like fucking pride over that. No. No. Like, when that just fucking a real ass nurse could probably fucking take your fucking ass out. That's true. Yeah. Beat don't your fuck fucking ass in the parking lot <laughs> is what not, she can fucking do. Do not fuck with nurses. They are crazy as hell. Don't do it. Yeah. Never do it. Um, but yeah, no, that that's why this kind of like anyway, this just bothers me. So I'm mad now, so I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna have to go cool down. I'm gonna have to go pack myself in ice because mm-hmm. I'm running hot and I'm pissed <laughs> off. Um, but if you guys want to Stay connected with us. You can find us on the social medias. On Instagram, we are at The Haunted Heart Podcast. On Twitter, we are at The Haunted Heart. And on Facebook, you can search The Haunted Heart Podcast and like our Facebook page for news, events, and updates. And then uh, also, when you search The Haunted Heart Podcast, a group will pop up. It is a closed group. You can request to join, and either Kenny, myself, or one of our Murder Mod Squad members will approve you. And then you can be in a group with a bunch of cool... um, uh, cool ass haunted heart listeners mm-hmm. and talk about cool ass shit all day long yeah on the five book and privately it's, yes it is closed so your aunt sally can't see what a fucking weirdo you are mm-hmm. okay so you she won't be making you go with now her. go on somewhere if you some fucking angel of mercy bullshit now you take your ass home somewhere yeah you know how we feel about that don't come here we'll fucking fight you don't come here we'll it's fucking fine. we'll do things something <laughs> we'll call the cops yes. we'll call the, yeah, the correct for sure. authorities for fucking absolutely sure um on speed dial yes all, of them, all 50 states anyway so if you want to support us on patreon and get your very own invocation shout out like you heard at the top of the show you can find us on patreon at www.patreon.com slash the haunted heart and we just recently redid our patreon tiers so now everyone in stay spooky squad uh and above has access to all of the bonus content with the exception of the super special r.i.p lounge that's rest in patreon lounge full bonus episode that we put out every month and that is just for cannibal cult members and above so go to the patreon check it out it's super cool. Um, there's a lot of bonus coming out there, bonus content coming out there, and we met a lot of cool podcasters at the True Crime Podcast Festival this past weekend, who we want to kind of do some collaboration stuff with, and we'll be dropping that for you on the Patreon. So get on over there if you love you some haunted heart, and get you some of them extras, baby. Get you that good, good. Get you some of them side fixins. <laughs> get you, get you the haunted heart with all the fixins, all baby. All the fixins. Yep. 
All them fixins. Well, speaking of fixins, we fix if we fixin to go, <laughs> we fixin to get the fuck out of your ears this evening. So you know what you got to do. Until next time, folks, you gotta stay spooky. spooky.